We're on this journey through the Acts of the Apostles, and the reason we're doing this is because we are trying to demonstrate what it means to be part of the community of the King. That's the whole essence of why I'm sharing out of the Acts at this particular time, having recently come to the church myself. I know that there are a small number of people who many uh, years ago became members of the fellowship, but we haven't run any sense of formal membership or partnership since, and we have to do that, but I don't want it just to become a club-like mentality where people think, oh, well, it doesn't matter uh, really, it's just something I join, just like I join the cricket club or the football club or bowls or whatever it happens to be. Because being part of the community of the king is far more entailed than just signing on a piece of paper and then that's it. So we've been doing this little exploration and this little journey through the Acts of the Apostles and we've made it all the way to chapter 5 and we're going into chapter 6 this morning. But we've, we've looked at how Jesus gave instructions for them to wait for the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem and that when they received the Spirit, they would receive power. And we've seen that in Acts chapter 2 where they were gathered together or the end of Acts 1 where they were gathered together waiting and then Acts 2, there was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and there was that great first gathering of people of 3,000 men who were added to the Lord. And that probably means there were more than just 3,000, you know. Um, but there were 3,000 added to the Lord. And then we went on from there and we looked at the lame man who had sat at the gate beautiful for all those years and people had walked on by and how he was excluded from the temple because of his disability. And yet what man excludes through religion, God includes all right and that is a phrase that really hit me what man excludes god includes all right now it doesn't mean that we don't have to come to him and we don't have to repent and turn as scripture clearly states and decide to follow after jesus but the reality is what religion wants to exclude because it does it wants to judge. God includes and throws open the door and wants to embrace and bring forgiveness to and to set free. So we, we saw that in chapter 3. Uh, at the end of 2, we also saw the whole thing. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread of prayer, and how the community began to form itself um, we went into chapter 4. I can't remember what was in chapter 4 now. I know at the end of chapter 4 we had a, a restatement of the end of chapter 2, but there were no needy among them anymore. All right? The needs of people had been um, seem, seemingly, from what is stated, there was not one person who was in need. And then last week we dealt with the Ananias and Sapphira incident which brought a bit of fear on the church, you know, and I'm not surprised, not at all really. It's not a place where you would want to run into and join, is it, if you think that if you cheat or defraud, that suddenly you might get struck dead. Um, you know, it might make you a little bit wary. 
I mean, imagine us having a reputation. Don't go in there, because if you're not right with God, you get struck down. Wow. You would not have a massive queue outside waiting to come in, would you? You know? And it actually says that, that the people were feared to join themselves to them. So we went through Acts 5 and the Ananias and Sapphira, and we talked about holiness and how um, really I've, I felt that there is this, this idea that they, they see themselves as the new people of God amongst whom God really dwells, and how they were, as Peter said, being built, spiritual living stones being built into a temple. And the temple was the place where God's presence dwelt and the Holy of Holies was the place, of course, where even the, the priests and the high priest would go in with a piece of rope tied round his leg in case he had not got it right and he needed to be dragged out because they couldn't go in to get him out. All right? So, I want to finish off chapter five for you. Um, not for any other reason, but um, there are a few statements in here and a few lessons I think we need to learn and then we'll read from chapter 6 and I'll briefly skirt what I'm going to say in chapter 6 and hopefully it'll all be done within my little clock here but then it might not so anyway so uh, where are we you might remember me saying a few weeks ago that uh, the story about the bishop who basically complained that he didn't seem to be having the same impact um, as the apostles did in the New Testament. And he made this statement, everywhere St. Paul went, there was a riot. Everywhere I go, they serve tea. And uh, I understand the heart, because we read in Scripture that there were things that took place and things happened and although the Acts of the Apostles covers probably 30, 28, 30 years of actual um, history of the church, the reality for me is in the Acts of the Apostles, things seem to happen. And yet so often in church life, we just plod on week to week, moment to moment, and our story doesn't seem to fit into the Acts of the Apostles. Now we could make excuses and say, well, it needed to be like that. They were just starting off, weren't they? So it needed to be like that. Surely now we're more mature and we're there. It's a bit more steady. Well, forgive me, right? I don't like steady, all right? I do on one hand, so don't worry, don't panic. I'm not going to do anything silly. But I, I, I don't like continual, just steady, plodding, plodding, plodding. God wants to move through his people he has chosen to move through his people God could act sovereignly without us at any moment at any time but the amazing thing is he's chosen to work with us but in this latter part of chapter five there are a few things that I think that we need to just take note of again you know Ananias and Sapphira get struck down and all the rest of it and then they get again brought before this council they keep getting dragged before the council to give an account of why they're doing what they are doing it says that um, now uh, in, let me just flick back for a moment my pages are stuck 
So it was said, we finished off, that there were now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people at the hands of the apostles, it says at the end of chapter 5. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. They were in the temple. I mean, talk about challenging religion. They were in the temple talking about this new thing, this Jesus thing, and it was upsetting people. So as they have previously experienced when they healed somebody and then gave an account of why they had a hope within them, they're given an account of why they've got a hope within them and they get dragged before this council again. And they get imprisoned. And the amazing thing on this occasion, they lock them up overnight with the intention of bringing them before them the following morning, only to go and find that the prison was securely locked, but they weren't there. Now, that must have been a shock. That must have been an absolute, like, whoa, what's going down, right? And there, where were they? They were back in the temple doing the very thing that they'd already been told at least twice that they shouldn't do, to share about Jesus. We live in a society that wants to silence the message of Jesus. Let's make no bones about it. You can talk about nearly anything else. You can have an opinion on nearly anything else. But if a Christian has an opinion which is Christ-based, Christ-centered, God-honoring, then you can almost bet your bottom dollar that you're going to get yourselves into trouble. All right? We've seen air hostesses sacked for wearing simple things like a crucifix. Nurses sacked. We've seen people who run their own business, who they, the owners of a business should have the right of mission and rejection of people coming into their business. And yet because of the rejection and the refusal to allow a gay couple to come in and to be part of a bed and breakfast, they ended up being taken to court. They lost their business because they could no longer operate. It seems to me that you can have any worldview you want except a Christian one in this day and age. It upsets people. It upsets people. But we shouldn't be surprised when things come against us. Because, let's be honest, if we are living the way we should be, we should be a little bit of an abrasion to people in a strange sort of way. So Satan is going to oppose every attempt that we have when we share the, the good news, all right? So that's the first thing I want you to take on board, that do not be surprised when things become difficult when you start to want to share Jesus with others. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised at rejection or derision, or that somebody starts to laugh at you or take the mickey out of you and you say, oh, you don't believe that, do you? Well, I want to tell you, some of the stuff they believe is just as wacky, if they want to be like that, as what they say we believe, right? I read The God Delusion because my son, bless his heart, bought it for me as a Father's Day present or a Christmas present, I can't remember which. Don't know why he bought me that book, you know. It begs the question, doesn't it? But I read this book, I thought, I'd better do it. And I read it, and I actually came away thinking, do you know, it requires more faith to believe this than to believe the Bible. You know? And then I recognized that everybody exercises faith. Even those who say they don't believe in God, they exercise faith. And the amazing thing is that even the scientists actually end up believing 
Um, creation ex nihilo, which means creation out of nothing, because they've got no explanation for where the, all the matter came from to cause the Big Bang in the first place. And so it, they have to do what they believe and follow what they believe by faith. It's just they choose not to put their faith in God. So we shouldn't be surprised when things come against us, all right? And you've got to realize that spiritual forces, they, they want to act through something. Do you remember the Gadarene demoniac when Jesus comes and he steps into this arena and he meets this man and he casts out from him legion, meaning many demons, right? But what was it those demons said? They said, please don't just cast us into nothing. Let us go and be in the pigs. I'd prefer, basically, they prefer to be in a pig than just in nowhere. All right? They need a physical body or a structure through which to operate. And therefore, you know, we shouldn't be surprised that we get these things. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Then, remember, miracles happen in the most dire circumstances. These guys, as I said to you, got arrested. They were put in prison, but an angel turns up and lets them out in the middle of the night and tells them to go into the temple and carry on what they were doing. Miracles are are, are possible, you know? And then, probably, for me, one of the most powerful statements of all in chapter 5 comes in verse 29. When Peter who is charged not to teach in this name, responds by saying, we must obey God rather than men. And if we're going to follow Jesus, I've got to tell you, we're going to have to follow God rather than men. And when we start to follow God rather than men, then we are going to find these things pushing back against us all the time. But we should not be surprised. All right? We should not be surprised. So we must believe God rather than men. It says in Peter's, when Peter writes to the church, it says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is within you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now that is where sometimes these days the church loses it. We lose our gentleness and respectful response, and we become aggressive, and we think that we become shouty, and we actually don't win any battles that way. And then, at the very end of this chapter, the last thing at the end of 5 I want you to take note of is this. In chapter 5.32 it says, And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Did you hear that? The Holy Spirit basically is given to those who obey him. Obedience is not earning anything from God, but is the, I think, the genuine response of those who have been truly touched by the good news message. You're not trying to earn your salvation, but you don't want to hurt God. You don't want to ignore what he says. And yet, the church at large is full of people full of people who want to live their life their way 
and fit God in as a side show. Then we reach chapter 6. I'm not going to read it all. I'm going to read you seven verses, one to seven. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And one more verse, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Who is it that God can use? What is happening here? Up until this point, the apostles were sole leaders in the, in the body of Christ, really, or in the community of the king. They were the ones who basically made sure everything ran. Now, a situation has arisen here, and the situation, whilst on the one hand to us, might seem almost silly, all right, was actually a potential split in a church, if you think about it. Now, I'm not really sure what happened in the previous time, but if you remember, when they were brought before, the, the, um, in ch- at the end of chapter 5, when Peter and that are brought in, and the apostles are brought in before the council, they're wanting to really just make them not speak in the name of Jesus. They want to beat them, arrest them, lock them away, whatever it is that they can do to stop this message getting out. And then there's this wise old head in the council called Gamaliel who says to them basically this, this is the short version, he says, listen guys, if you do that, you might actually do more harm to yourselves than good. We already know from the past, people have come and gone before who have said that they're the Messiah and all the rest of it, and it all came to nothing. And therefore, why don't we just see what happens? Let's just see what happens. If it isn't of God, it's going to go the same way it's gone before. But if it is of God, you won't then basically fall foul of opposing God. Now, I don't know what happens between the end of five and the beginning of six or how long that time is, but it might suggest to me as I read it that there is a gap of time where there might have been peace amongst the people of God. They were no longer being pursued all the time about what they were doing. They no longer were being arrested and put 
uh, into prison and then having to go before the council, that somehow this council had taken note of Gamaliel's words and have decided we're going to ignore it or at least try to. Now, I was given this as an illustration from the First World War, which I think might be apt here. I was told that in the First World War, if you went five miles behind the the front line, you'd find soldiers, they would be arguing with one another, they would be fighting, there'd be all sorts of mayhem going on because they weren't in the front line. But at the nearer the front line you got to, the less and less that was taking place. And by the time you got to the front line, guys were just happy to make the end of any day. And they would be there, shoulder to shoulder with one another, trying to help each other make it. Now what happens in things is when we're not at the front end of the battle, what happens is that we are removed from that need of one another for defense. And what happens is we suddenly become focused on other things. And so I think what might have happened here is things quietened down and then the people began to look around amongst themselves and this bunch of people got really upset because the Hellenists... Notice they made a division between them. They identified not as Christ's, but as Hellenists and Hebrews. They suddenly become focused on their particular group of people and whether they were getting their fair share. And there was this thing that started to bubble up amongst them and it became a little bit of a a fractious moment in this new fledgling community. We know that later on, Paul says there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female. Now, I know he's using that terminology in and around the promise of the law, but the reality is, and saying there's no difference, but the reality is that when people come to Christ, you don't identify by your background. You identify by the thing that unites you, that's Jesus. But this little ripple happened. And so what happens? They have to deal with it. Because those little things grow into huge things, grow into division. And division, a house divided against itself will not stand. The reason, part of the reason that the early church spread so powerfully and so quickly was because they were all together. They were of one mind. They were in unity. We've heard that in chapter 1, chapter 2, and in chapter 4. They were of one mind, one heart, one focus. And now that oneness is under threat. So the apostles, not trying to get out of menial tasks... Some ministers have used this so that they don't have to clean the toilets and paint the walls and all the other sorts of things, right? Oh, I must give myself to prayer and preaching of the word. And I'm not saying that a minister shouldn't do that. But the reality is, all right, they didn't use it to get out of work, all right? They knew that what needed to happen, they wouldn't have been able to do it, the 12 of them anyway. Because they were going from house to house. They were preaching God's word. They were praying and asking God what was happening and where they were supposed to be going. And so what they did was, and I, 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 this is something I'm working through. So I, what I'm about to move into now, all right, is exploration 
I'm still exploring this bit. But I was interested the way we appoint people and the way they appoint them. Very interesting. I think in the Constitution, and we must obey the Constitution, we must, all right? I'm not against the Constitution. The Constitution says the minister chooses leaders within the church and the body ratify them. Lo and behold, here, they turn that on its head. They got a problem, so they gather the group like us together and they say, right, we've got a problem, guys. This is the problem we got. Now you, you, all of you, you choose seven guys or seven people in this group of people here. You choose them and we'll ratify them. It's totally the opposite way around. And I've got to work that through in my mind. And I am going to write to the general superintendent and just point that out to him, just, just so he's aware. All right? Because they're revising the constitution at the moment and it might be something they want to look at. All right? But here, they do it the other way around. They let the people choose. And the only thing they do is that they give them some instruction about who should be chosen. I entitled this morning's message, The People God Uses. Or you could say, servanthood is the seed of leadership. You can choose whichever one you like. All right? But the reality is, He gives them some simple instructions. Choose from among yourselves seven men, full of good repute, men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Stephen was also full of grace and power and was doing great signs and wonders. But the reality is, when we're going to, choose leadership and there will be when we have done our membership there is going to be an opportunity whether we do it the Elam way or whatever way we do it, it will be the Elam way because I'll I'll be obedient alright, for now And, uh, and the reality is we will put before you a number of names of people we believe that have leadership eldership um they qualify for eldership And we believe that God wants to be involved in the leading of this body, the church here, Connect Church, all right? And what we will do is we will ask those who have become members that they will ratify what we see. They will let us know, basically, do you see in these people what we're seeing in them? There were, not strict, although I think it was probably quite strict, there were things, character traits that they were looking for a good reputation do you have a good reputation with your employer what if I so James and Tony and Martin will have to be ratified alright and their names will be going forward to the body because they are the existing leadership of the church but what if I was to go to one of their employers and say, hey, what's that James guy like? Is he all right? (laughs) You don't know him like I know him, (laughs) you know? Now, I don't know what James's boss is, so I haven't spoken to him, all right? But James, you're going to get battered here, all right? So he goes, 
Why? Why are you asking? Well, I just want to know, what's he like? Oh, he's lazy. Absolutely lazy. He doesn't do anything. He's always sneaking off to have a cup of tea. Always. Can never find him. When I go out uh, and I'm looking for him, I can't find him anywhere. And I say to guys, where is James? Uh, Oh, oh, I don't know. Um, I think he went out that way somewhere. And he's always out in the hut outside having a cup of tea. Is that a good reputation to have from an employer? You see, sometimes we think it's only having a good reputation in here that is important. But what is your reputation like outside of the church? You can go, Tony Barter. What's Tony Barter like then? I'll ask his wife, I'll tell you. She's not here, by the way. Neither is he this morning. They've got a family thing on. But hey, what's he like? Oh, what a man. He's a lovely man. Oh, he's just wonderful. Nothing's too much trouble. He's faithful. He's always there. He's, he, he, he can't do enough for you. He'll go the extra mile. Now, there's a reputation that I want outside the body. What about that Martin Pierce? Oh, we're still making up our mind about him. <laughs> we're not really sure either way yet. We haven't got anything to say he's, he's not all right, but we're still looking for what is right. <laughs> you know, sorry, guys. All right. <laughs> but the reality is, what's your reputation like? Are you full of the Holy Spirit? Are the guys that we're wanting to bring into leadership, the people, men or women, are they full of the Holy Spirit? Are they full of the Holy Spirit? Do you see the Spirit of God? Because you could see it in Stephen. Later on in Stephen, it says his face shone like that of an angel. That's a bit like Moses, isn't it? When he went up the mountain, was with God. And he had to come down with a veil because he was glowing. Would you be known as someone who'd been with Jesus? Who knows? What is your reputation? I haven't got time to go into today all the other things that I've written down here, all right? Um, but the reality is that there's lists in the New Testament, in Timothy and in Titus, and it lists a whole list of things that we need to be. So for people either to be a deacon or an elder... These don't all apply to deacons, but they will apply all of them to elders. And deacons, there is only one or two things here that wouldn't be for them. Must be of a good reputation, must be married to one woman. I want to say to you, there were multiple marriages in that culture at that time. So that is the statement that is being made there. Must be hospitable must be a lover of the good, must be self-controlled in all aspects of life, especially sensually. Especially sensually. You must be self-controlled. You must be holy, pleasing to God. Is there anything in your life that you know would not please God? So the person must be pleasing to God, must be disciplined, devout and dedicated, must not be open to the charge of debauchery. That means recklessness, excessive sinful license. There are people out there today who 
Just believe, as I've said before, that you can just say, so's God, and it's all all right. No, it ain't. If your heart isn't to live holy and pure, separated unto God, then you don't qualify. There are, must not be open to the charge of insubordination, unruly, disobedient, independent, defiant of established authority. I want to tell you, in every church, in every church I've ever pastored, there is always the odd one or two who are defiant to authority. You can't tell me. You just judging me. No, I'm looking after your soul. That's the charge that God has put on my life, to look after your soul and your well-being spiritually. And so I'm not speaking to you because I want to beat you up. I'm speaking to you because that is my responsibility before God. Oh, well, you can't say anything to me. I, I deal with that with God. You're nobody. And I've actually had people say that to me. Who do you think you are? Don't you speak to me about that. Or you ask them to do something. And in fact, you have to use reverse psychology half the time. If you want a chair there, you tell them to put it there. And then they'll put it here. But if I ask for a chair there, they'll stick it over there. And you say to them, why have you done that? Well, I thought it was better over there. And I've had people do those sorts of things. You'd be surprised. So not insubordinate. Must not be addicted to wine or being drunk. Mustn't be arrogant. Oh, Lord. And I've suffered with arrogance. I'm serious. I have re- I, in, in my early years in ministry, I suffered terribly with arrogance. It was like, this is the way we're going. I'm the guard on the train and I'm the driver. I'm waving the flag. And if you don't get on the train, I'll wave to you on the way past. Because I had all the truth. And they were all wrong if they didn't want to get on the train. I look back and I'm embarrassed at some of the things I did when I was young. I'm embarrassed about them. Not arrogant. Not be quick-tempered. Are you a short-fused person? You know, you go from naught to 60. I only do this behind tractors. You know, naught to 60 in about three seconds. I've got the fastest acceleration of temper when I get stuck behind a tractor. All right? Um, you know, why are you going so slow? It's a 40-mile-an-hour speed limit here. You've got a big tractor, now drive it at 40, you know? But you mustn't be quick-tempered, you know? Not really, you mustn't. Because if people fear you, if you've got a quick temper, people fear you. And they don't know who they're going to meet. Are they going to meet the friendly Dave or the quick-tempered Dave? I hope you only ever meet the friendly Dave. Ever. You know? And I'll tell you one thing, if you ever meet the other one, rebuke me and then run. (laughs) No, rebuke me because I don't want to be quick-tempered and a nasty individual. Not given to violence, not greedy for gain, and mustn't be a young convert. You know, sometimes we accelerate people into positions of leadership far too quickly. We push them forward because they've got something we want and we don't want to lose them and so we push them forward and then they fall flat on their face because they don't have the character to handle things. Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. 
Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life to God is vigorous and requires total attention. Be wary of false preachers who smile a lot, dripping with practiced sincerity. Chances are they're out to rip you off in some way or other. Don't be impressed with charisma. Oh, I wish I had listened to this sometimes in my past. Look for character. Who preachers are is the main thing, not what they say. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. These diseased trees with their bad apples are going to be chopped down and burned. Knowing the correct password, saying master, master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience, doing what my father wills. I can see it now at the final judgment. Thousands strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preached the message. We bashed the demons. Our super spiritual projects had everybody talking. And do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was to use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. Matthew 7, just before building the house on the rock and on the sand in the message. Character. Here are men waiting on tables. Here are men who were chosen to wait on tables because they had a good reputation, they were full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. And if that's what's required to wait on tables... That's what's required of anybody who serves within the body of Christ. I want to encourage you. The word of God says this, a man who desires to be an overseer desires a noble task. The writer, Paul, does not condemn the desire. Notice that. He doesn't condemn the desire. We often think in church life that if someone desires something, somehow it's not right and it's ungodly. Well, Paul says something different. He says the man who desires to be an overseer desires a noble task. But if you want to serve God in that way, then we need to work on our character. We need to work on our character. And our character doesn't have to be flawless because that would be daft because we all have bad days, don't we? Yeah? I'm not the only one, am I, who has a bad day? All right? I think I must be by looking at you lot because nobody nodded in agreement with me. All right? I'm sure we must all have a bad day every now and again. All right? We don't have to be flawless, but we don't have to be either dismissive and it doesn't matter. I know what I know and that's it. And you, I don't care what you say. Those character issues will bring the house down. Men of character, women of character, women of faithfulness, men of faithfulness. Paul said to Timothy, Entrust 
the things I've entrusted to you to faithful men who in turn will entrust them to others. Faithful. Faithfulness. The people God uses are people who have allowed God to mould their character. Stephen didn't finish waiting on tables. Stephen is doing mighty signs and wonders Whoa, just like the apostles, all right? He's doing mighty signs and wonders just like the apostles. They said in those days, if you were an apostle, you moved in signs and wonders. So maybe Stephen is on his way at some point. If he hadn't been stoned to death, maybe he was going to be an apostle. One of the twelve Maybe he would have made the council at Jerusalem in Acts 15 if he hadn't been stoned to death. Maybe. But he was doing signs and wonders. He was representing Jesus. The freedmen, the synagogue of the freedmen got upset with him. They made his life difficult. He ends up in the same way that the apostles ended up, having to face difficulty. But he declared his Jesus. He declared his God. He declared. This is amazing. (laughs) Must have power going through my hands. Um, That's a joke. All right, that's a joke. Um, But the reality is that there is something happening. He is chosen out of all those to be singled out for special mention. There were seven, but one got special mention. One got special mention. And you will see Stephen preaches. Stephen is then stoned. And he takes the same attitude as his saviour. Father, for they know not what they do. I'm going to turn this off. Hello. We're going to pray. I just want you to, to, to know we need people to serve. We need people of faithfulness. We need people of good character. And we need people who will be faithful and trustworthy and true that know how to take direction as well as give direction. All right? Um, I always think of that uh, Roman guy, Roman centurion, when he meets Jesus, and Jesus offers to come to his aid. Oh, you don't need to come. All you've got to do is say the word. He says, "I've had men under me, and I've basically I've been under people. I know what it means. Basically, authority means, and you've got it, Jesus." Well, the reality is, Jesus said, "There, I've not found faith." I, you know, this guy. He understands. He understands. And if you want to exercise authority, then you need to be willing to come under authority. And that's what you see here. These men are chosen, and the apostles lay their hands on them and commission them for service. And we should do that in every area. We need someone who will have a passion for children's work, that will lead our children's work, who will make it their, 
their passion and their purpose in life to feed the children in this church, to grow them up with an active, vibrant faith and take a lead in that area. We will need people to serve on the eldership team. We will need people who will take responsibility for the overall worship team. We need people who will take responsibility and operate within it, who might take responsibility for the whole fabric of the building. And it's something that doesn't have to take up the total concentration of the elders when they meet together because someone has been given that task and they are faithful and they serve that task well. You know, we need people who are faithful. We need someone who will lead our prayer, actually be the, the, the focal point, the lead person in that. And that doesn't mean that they got, a, none of these roles mean you've got the opportunity to chuck your weight around. That's not what it's about. But it's about someone who's passionate. And that passion becomes their purpose. And their purpose means that they will reprioritize their life in the right way to serve that passion. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you, Lord, that there are people here that are shown to us as an example of the type of people that you can actually use within your church. Father, I want to ask that you would help all of us, Father, to work with you on our character that, Lord, we would have strong characters, characters full of faith, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, that we would have a good reputation, not just within the church, but outside of the church with others. Lord God, I want to pray that you will raise up amongst us people who are willing to take responsibility and take real responsibility so that they will know that they are accountable for what they do, but they are responsible for making things happen. And so, Lord, I just pray, Lord, will you begin to, as we, as we rub shoulders with one another, fashion our characters as we knock the rough edges off one another and, and just bind us together and let it be clear amongst us who needs to be in what positions so that the body is rightly connected together, so that it operates properly. And so, Father, we ask that you will stir us up, fill us afresh this week with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, may we, may we honour you in all of our lives, wherever we go this week. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.